Hallelujah. You can go ahead and be seated. See if I can. There we go. I'm left-handed, so it messes everything up. Um, it's such an honor to be here today at River of Life. You guys are like my uh, second family, and so I always appreciate when I get the opportunity to minister um, here. Um, and so I'm just so thankful for Pastor Mark and Bobby um, who let me come and speak to you guys. And, you know, uh, my wife, uh, Allie and Lodge are not here today. Um, they'll be here at the 11. Um, if Lodge was here at the 9 a.m. service, there would just be utter chaos constantly. Um, so he has to come to the 11. But uh, everything you hear, everything that I do, everything that our, uh, the ministry happens through me and my wife, it's all because of Allie. She, uh, she has all the talent and all the brains. Uh, she's the, literally, I have one talent, and that's talking really loudly. Um, and having no embarrassment. So that's really my two skills is being super loud and not being embarrassed easily. And so that's why I get up here. But really, Allie takes care of everything else. But it's such an honor to be here with you guys. I'm just going to spend a few minutes talking um, on a shipwrecked faith, a shipwrecked faith. Um, I'll be a thousand percent honest. This was not what I was planning on speaking on. But last night, I felt like um, this was the direction that God wanted me to go in. So if it's wrong, it's not God's fault. It's my fault. Uh, but that's just what I feel. And so I'm going to try my best to, uh, to, to speak uh, what God has given me. So if you guys would, um, if you'll turn your Bibles to, um, if you'll turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy, First um, Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. First uh, Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. We're going to be talking about a, ship faith, a shipwrecked faith and a church in Revelation called the Church of Pergamum. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, this is Paul talking, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. Everybody say, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Everybody say shipwreck. Among whom are Hermanius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. If you'll pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this wonderful opportunity to be here. God, there's nowhere else we'd rather be but to be in your house, to be in your presence. We, God, I ask that you anoint me to speak and anoint them to hear. Uh, and God, that you do what only you can do in this place, that you move mountains, you calm storms, you save, you deliver, you heal. And God, we just trust in your power and your mercy and your goodness today. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory. And everybody says... Amen, amen. So we're going to be talking uh, out of 1 Timothy today and Revelations, and I'll read Revelations in just a minute. Uh, but what I love about 1 Timothy is 1 Timothy is, uh, is, a, is a letter, and it's a letter from Paul to his spiritual son named Timothy. And uh, Timothy was young at this time. He was pastoring a church. Um, and, and what I love about this letter is it's a personal letter. It's a letter written specifically to Timothy that we get to kind of, of look into and we kind of get to see, look into this and see what Paul was telling Timothy as a minister of the gospel. And what Paul does is Paul warns Timothy not to shipwreck his faith as Hermanius and Alexander has done. And apparently at this time at the church that Timothy was working at, there was these two individuals that were making some very poor decisions or causing some, causing some, uh, 
uh, uh, division and causing some uproar in the church. And so Paul is giving some fatherly advice to Timothy. And I know that we, you know, as, as young guys, we all need some fatherly advice sometimes. And so Timothy is getting advice from Paul. So we got to get to glimpse into this kind of advice that Paul is giving um, Timothy. And in fact, he really tells him two ways. He said, don't get shipwrecked. Uh, don't let your, sh- your, your uh, faith be shipwrecked. And he tells him two ways that to not let that happen. Right? He says there's two, there's two things that you have to do. There's two ways to handle this to make sure that your faith is not shipwrecked like Hermanius and Alexander because they have now been turned over to, the, uh, to Satan so that they can learn not to blaspheme. So he says there's two ways to avoid this. And he says these two ways are holding faith and good conscience. And another way to put that is the two ways to avoid shipwrecking your faith, to crash your faith, for your faith to just totally be destroyed, is to hold on to what you believe the doctrine, and, to, and, and good conscience, which is how you live, your, your godly character, right? The way that you avoid shipwrecking your faith is holding on to good doctrine and living your life according to that doctrine, right? That's what, that's what Timothy, or that's what Paul is telling Timothy. So what I want to do today is I want to spend just a few moments telling us what the American church or the church in general is, is allowing to shipwreck our faith, all right, that's what I'd like to do, and then, I, and, and then I'm going to give some examples, and then we're going to close. Is that all right with you guys? All right, and so what I want to present to you that what's causing the shipwreck of our faith today is a very similar situation to the one of the church that John writes about in Revelation. John the Revelator writes in Revelation about this church, uh, the church of Pergamum. And, and I want to make the argument, I want, to make, I want to make the proposal that the church of Pergamum is very, very, very similar to the church of today here in 2023, that it was facing a lot of the same things that we are facing today. And so in Revelations chapter 2, um, verses 12 through 17, I'm going to read this to you, I'm going to read the whole thing, um, so that way you kind of get uh, some nice context of what's happening. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name. Now, where they're dwelling Satan's throne, this is the city of Pergamum. This is a place where there was a lot of idol worship going on. A lot of, a lot of, of, of horrible things were happening, and so it was literally known as Satan's throne among the Christians. Um, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you. So we see some, some martyrdom happening where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. This is, this, is, this is God talking. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. So we see the church of Pergamum was fighting what John refers to as the teachings of Balaam and the teachings of the Nicolaitans. And so that sounds really confusing. So what are these teachings exactly? The teaching of Balaam and Nicolaitans and the Nicolaitans, most scholars believe actually to be the same thing based on the meanings of the Greek words that they both mean Balaam meaning he who consumes or rules over, he who consumes or rules over and the Nicolaitans meaning he who overcomes the people. 
And so both of these are essentially the same thing, that the teachings of Nicolaitans and, and Balaam was this idea that they were allowing things to rule over them. They were allowing things to overcome them. They were allowing things to consume them that were not Jesus, that were not godly, that were not things that they should allow to rule them and, over, and overcome them and to, uh, and, and to be a part of their life. Right, and so what is John trying to tell the people of Pergamum in this moment? Right, so I'm talking a lot about Pergamum, and I'll bring it back to us in just a minute, I promise. But Balaam was a pagan prophet hired by Balak, and this is going back to the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 22. He was the king of Moab, and he wanted to pronounce a curse upon the invading Israelites. And what God God prevented Balaam from from doing this curse. He basically tells Balaam, you can't do that. And whenever Balaam tries, he ends up literally uh, blessing the Israelites instead of cursing them. You can find that narrative in Numbers chapter 22 through 24. However, Balaam subsequently defies the plan. He, he, God wouldn't let him do what he wanted to do, so he came up with a different plan to do what he needed to do. And what he did was he devised a plan and uh, to, to make sure that there was continued disobedience among God's people. And what he did was he sent um, the, the Moabite women into the camp to entice the Israelite men and cause them to defect from the Lord, according to uh, chapter 31, by fornicating with them and joining with them in the worship of their pagan gods. So these Israel, these, the Israelites were serving God. Um, Balaam comes in and he he sends these the these Moabite women in to destroy these men to c- cause them to commit sin and to cause them to leave uh, Yahweh to leave their God and this plan was successful and what happens is God punishes the Israelites for their idolatrous involvement and Balaam becomes this uh, proverbial false teacher who for uh, a lot of people believe um, when you enter into relationships of compromising unfaithfulness is warned by God to stop and is finally punished for continuing to disobey. So whenever he's saying the teachings of Balaam is talking about this idea of, of giving yourself over and leaving God for, for, for things that are not of God, for sexual immorality, for, uh, for things that, that you think that, that are more important than God and things of that nature. And so this episode from Numbers is really just, apply, uh, John is applying this, this episode of Numbers to a small group of false teachers in the church at Pergamum. And, and, and he was trying to show them that what they were teaching them, that they could not live however they wanted to. They could not just give themselves over to sexual immorality. They could just not give themselves over to the teachings of Balaam, to Nicolaitans. They could not just worship who they wanted to, but that if they worshiped the true God, Yahweh, and, and, and the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and they had to worship him correctly, and they had to only worship him. And so the false teachers were arguing that believers could have closer relationships with pagan cultures, institution, and religion than John thought proper. So these Christians in Pergamum were taking their God, they, they, they believed in Jesus, they believed in God, but they were also mixing in all these other things from culture that John thought was improper, and he was proving through his writings that God also said these things were improper and sinful. And so these, these Christians were taking things and mixing it into their religion, Right? They were mixing sexual immorality. They were mixing, mixing in idol worship. They were mixing in all of this stuff into their religion. They were taking the culture from Rome and the culture of Greece, and they were mixing it in into their religion, into their Christianity. And John's saying, this is not healthy. This is not good. This is going to cause your faith to collapse. This is going to cause your faith to be shipwrecked. Right? And so essentially John is saying the church of Pergamum is messing around with idolatry. Who were the gods? Who were these gods that, that these Christians were mixing into their Christianity? Well, one of them was, was Bacchus, the god of wine and pleasure, that the Christians were living this life in this time. A few of these Christians were just living their life that whatever pleased them, 
Whatever makes them happy is important. Whatever, whatever makes them feel good, that God is okay with that because, because he wants you to have pleasure and fun and, and, and enjoyment out of life. And so they were mixing in this idea of Bacchus, the God of wine and pleasure, saying the most important thing in your life is not God, but it is pleasure for you. Does that sound oddly familiar? And then there was Zeus, the god of law and order, that law and order reigned above all other things. And there was uh, Asclepius, the god of medicine and healing. And this was really interesting because what they would do is they hoping that she would heal them. They would undergo these ritual cleansings and they would take, they would come if they were sick and they would, they would go into this, this little room. Um, it was called an abiton and they would drop them in and it was this giant room filled with snakes. All right. It was a giant room filled with snakes. And they would have to sleep there all night, and then that, that their God would give them a vision on how to heal them. And they would come back out, and they would do whatever the vision said, and then they would, they would have to come back and give some kind of offering uh, shaped like the body part that was healed. And so, so this, this health, this, this law, there's law and order, there's health, there's pleasure, and all these things are not necessarily bad things, but they're making these things God's. Right? There's, they're making these things the most important things of life. They're willing to sleep with snakes in order to get this health that they were getting in Rome. And then you have Athena, the god of war and wisdom, and then imperial worship. They were, they were, they were forced in, in, in Rome at that time, you worship the government. You worship the Caesar. You were, they were deified. They believed that Caesar was, was, a, was the son of God, which is why saying that Jesus was the son of God at that time was very uh, political. Because they believed that Caesar was the son of God. And does all that kind of sound familiar? All these ideas were not necessarily bad things. You know, government's not, you know, all these things were not necessarily evil. You know, pleasure's not bad. Um, um, law and order's not bad. Um, um, health and medicine's not bad. But they were taking all of these things and making them gods in their life. Right? And they were turning them into horrible, horrible things. And they were doing horrible things in order to get these things. They were still saying, hey, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's God. But I also have all this other stuff that I, that I find pleasure in, that I think that I worship, that I give my life to. Right? Does that sound familiar? Politics, sex, wealth, power, comfort, winning are all idols that we as Christians face today. Right? Are these things in and of themselves bad things? Not necessarily, but we have turned them into our gods. Right. Look outside today and you will see people who say they love Jesus, but they give their life to everything else. Right. And they have shipwrecked their faith, not because they don't say the right things, but because they have built these idols of sex and power and winning and being successful. They built these idols in their lives. And because of those things, they shipwrecked their faith. We have seen this a thousand times in the church. The second something goes wrong. Because we've built up this idol of success and something goes wrong and we fail, we leave the church and we, we don't believe in God anymore. Or we just leave, heartbroken. Or the second something doesn't go our way, the second these idols come crashing down, we blame God. And our, our faith is shipwrecked. Anybody relate to that? Right? We, as Christians, we've built up these idols, like in Pergamum, of, of pleasure of, of law and order, of all these things. And they've shipwrecked our faith. They've shipwrecked our faith. We see this. We see this with a lot of things we're talking about in just a minute. But one of my favorite quotes is by Mark Driscoll, and this is what he says. He says, when good things become God things, it becomes a bad thing. When good things become God things, it becomes a bad thing. 
When good things become God things, it becomes a bad thing. So these Christians, John was warning these Christians that there was a lot of things in their life that were becoming God things. And there's only room for one God in your life. There's only one true God, and that is Yahweh. And that is the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so whenever you make these other things in your life gods, and you might not do it consciously, but whenever you give your life to these things above everything else, you are going to shipwreck your faith because one day these things are going to let you down. One, thing, one, day, one day these things are going to fail you. One day these things that you've poured your life into are going to leave you disappointed and your faith is going to be shipwrecked and you're going to be asking what happened. One day you're going to be miserable and, and not know what happened and look back and see that all these idols that you said, you said that you loved God, but all these idols that you made shipwrecked your faith. Shipwrecked your faith. The other thing that John was writing about against the church of Pergamon was sexual immorality. Rome was rampant with homosexuality, pedophilia, rape, prostitution, infanticide, abortion. It was rampant with those things. There was no, there was no idea of the Imago Dei. There was no idea that, that, human, human, that humans had value because they were human. They just believed that you had value if you could do something or contribute or if you were born of the right family. So they had no issue with killing people non-discriminately based on who they were. And so Rome was rampant with, with sexual immorality. You could sleep with who you wanted. You could do what you wanted. There was no repercussions. As long as it felt good and you had enough money and you were in power, you could do what you want. That was happening in Rome at this time. And so there's this movement right now in, 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 on TikTok and Instagram, on Reels, if you watch them, they'll tell you that some of this stuff that we're facing today wasn't even invented. The words weren't invented until the 1950s. And I'm here to tell you that that's just false, not even on a Christian standpoint, but just purely on a scholarly standpoint, that these things that we're facing today from homosexuality, pedophilia, rape, abortion, all those things were happening then too. The church has been fighting against these ideas for 2,000 years. For 2,000 years, you can look up uh, the Didec, all these different books. All, there's, there's so much proof and evidence showing us that the church has been around for 2,000 years and has been fighting the exact same things every time. And what's amazing about that, Dylan, is that because they've been fighting for 2,000 years, they have answered. The church has answers to these things. The church has, has a plan for these things. And so I want to show you some sobering stats about sexual immorality in our nation and our churches. If that's okay with you, then I'm almost done. I promise. It's 9.45. Give me like 10 minutes. Divorce rates. 50% of first-time marriages end a divorce in America. 60% of second marriages end a divorce. And 73% of third marriages end divorce. I guess third time is not a charm. 35% of Christian men have had an extramarital affair in their life. This is Christians. Do you hear what I'm saying? We have a shipwrecked faith in the church today. Sex outside of marriage. 57% of Christians say that sex between an unmarried, committed couple is sometimes or always okay. 50% of Christians say that casual sex between two consenting adults not in a relationship is always or sometimes okay. And by age 22, 65% of evangelical Christian male and females have already had premarital sex. We are living in a world, we are living in a church full of sexual immorality and it's shipwrecking our faith. I can keep going. Let's look at the LGBTQIA um, um, plus uh, community. 
Gallup states that 7.1% of all Americans identify as non-straight. One in five of Gen Z adults identify as non-straight. It's 21%. 10% of almost 2 million students between 14 and 17-year-olds identify as non-straight. Approximately 150,000 14 to 18-year-old students identify as transgender. We have an epidemic in our country and in our world of sexual immorality, and it's now being passed on to our kids. Do you hear what I'm saying? We have these idols of pleasure, of love, of whatever makes you feel good, of these same things that Pergamum was facing is being passed on to our kids. The church has shipwrecked our faith. And pornography, 85%, 85% of 14 to 18-year-old males and 57% of 14 to 18-year-old females have looked at pornography. In fact, I think the average age, the first time a, a, a student looks at pornography is like, I think it's down to 10 years old. Maybe it's 11. I can't remember. It's 10 or 11 years old. 75% of parents believe their student has never viewed pornography. But of that 75%, 53% of their students have viewed pornography. In 2019, 69.1 million images of child sexual abuse was in circulation in America. In the USA, pornography is a $12 billion industry and an almost $100 billion industry across the globe. 77% of Christian, Christian men between the ages of 18 and 30 years old view pornography once a month, at least. 77% of Christian men between the ages of 31 to 49 year old view pornography at least three times a month. Do you see the similarities that I'm trying to portray to you between Pergamum and us? In Pergamum, they had idols and they had sexual morality, and, it was sh and Paul was saying that's shipwrecking your faith. Fast forward 2,000 years later, or probably like 1,900 years later, so like 2,000 years later, and the church is facing idols and sexual morality, and it's shipwrecking our faith. It's shipwrecking our faith. So what's the answer? We do a lot of things well. We, we greet, we sing, we preach, we do all, so many things awesome. We help our communities. We, we love doing amazing things. We do so many things well, just like the Church of Pergamum. We do so many things awesome. But we're shipwrecking, we're destroying our faith with idolatry and sexual immorality, poor doctrine and poor character. We're living our lives and we're thinking we're doing everything okay, but our life and our doctrine and our beliefs are not lining up with what, what we're saying. So what's the answer? What's the answer? What's the answer? In Acts chapter 27, the 14th night had come as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight. The sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they laid down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and then lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Everybody say, stay in the ship. Then the soldiers cut away from the ropes of the ship's boats and let it go. And then Jude, Jude 17 through 23. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus. They said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up. 
in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire, and others show mercy with fear, hating them, hating even the garment stained by their flesh. The answer to this problem in our world, in our church, is three things. And then I'm done. Holding on to the faith. Knowing what you believe. You believe in God. You believe in the triune God who came, whose son came and died on the cross for your sins. You were born into an evil world. You were born with a sinful nature. You can't help but sin. You can't save yourself. And so we, we know, we believe that we have a son of God. We have Jesus Christ, son of God, who came and lived the perfect life so that we wouldn't have to, who died the death that we deserve, took the sin of the world upon his shoulders and then defeated the enemy that we could not defeat which is death, hell, and the grave, and he rose again three days later, amen? We believe in that. We believe in the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and we believe that he is calling us to a holy lifestyle, that he's calling us to live a life for him and through him and by him, and so we have to know what we believe. We have to know what the Bible says. R.C. Sproul says that the Bible's not complicated, but sometimes you have to lay down your pride and just do what it says, right? You just got to do what it says. The Bible is not difficult. And so this answer is holding on to our faith, sound doctrine, good conscience, living what we are taught, living out this biblical lifestyle, this holiness, and to not abandon the ship, to not abandon the church, to not abandon the church of the living God. Paul told the people on the boat, no matter how bad it is, don't give up. No matter how bad it is, don't abandon the ship of Jesus Christ and his church. Why? Because the ship is the only hope for this world, and it's the only hope for your family, and the church is what you need during this time. Because God's hand is on his bride. God's hand is on his church. God's hand is on this ship. Are you hearing me today? That we live in a world of idolatry and sexual immorality and God in the Bible and Paul is telling us to not abandon the ship no matter what you feel, no matter what you think, no matter how good it feels, don't abandon ship. Don't give up. Because she's the bride of Christ. In a time when we should be clinging to this ship of Zion, protecting her at all costs, we're doing two things. We're abandoning her. Only 28% of us attend church more than one or two times per month. Or we're giving up and saying we've got to change with the culture. We've got to remain relevant. We've got to take our ship in the middle of the storm and we're tearing holes in it and being surprised when it sinks. We're, we're shipwrecking our faith. But she has given us answers to the tough questions for 2,000 years through the word of God the ecumenical creeds, the statements of faith, we know what we believe. And I'm here to tell you that what we believe in the life that we are called to live is so much better than any idolatry, any sexual immorality. All those things pale in comparison to King Jesus. 
the life, the love, the joy, the peace, the hope that he brings on the ship of Zion. This community that we have as a family of God is so much better than pleasure, than anything else, than idolatry, than anything we could hope to attach our to attach our lives to. The church of Zion, the, the ship of Zion, God, Jesus, this family of God is so much better and more fulfilling. No matter how bad the storm is, we cannot ship or wreck our faith. In this, I'm not here to make you feel bad. I'm here to tell you, River of Life, to not give in, but to hold fast to God. No matter what the world says outside, that we have something better in here. You guys stand with me.